Hey there everyone, this is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence where we interview thinkers and doers at the intersection of technology and psychology. We've had a lot of uh, great philosophers and psychologists who've been on the, the line with us before. Today I'm lucky enough to be able to have on the line with me now the founder and director of the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford, author of the recently published Super Intelligence, uh, uh, Professor Nick Bostrom himself. Professor, how are you today? Hey, fine, thanks. Indeed, glad to have you on here. Um, I, uh, you know, when I had heard you speak recently at Harvard uh, on your book tour as you were kind of making your rounds, um, I was particularly interested in this notion of existential risk. I've read an, a number of your work. Maybe some of the folks who are tuned in already have as well. It seems as though that's a massive task of determining what are the existential risks, the risks that you know could really put humanity at stake in terms of destruction in all these various fields, from nanotech to artificial intelligence to robotics or, or whatever the case may be. Um, how does a thinker like yourself or other other folks who are specifically focused in particular fields start to identify what those are and what ones are maybe more reasonable or larger scale risks than others that maybe uh, should should yield a little bit more attention? Yeah, so the, uh, the concept of an existential risk really is a kind of lens to, to focus our gaze um, when we're trying to prioritize between different global concerns. Yes. So it tries to direct our attention to those things that could make a permanent difference to our long-term future. Yes. In an existential risk is, is one involving either the extinction of Earth originating intelligent life or the permanent and drastic destruction of our future potential for valuable development. Yep. Um, and um, there is no single methodology that uh, is applicable to all different existential risks. It's intrinsically an interdisciplinary endeavor. Um, for particular risks, it's possible to quantify them in, in a rigorous scientific way. Like if you're wondering about asteroids, like, well, we have telescopes we can study them with. We can look at uh, past crater impacts and so forth and, and derive uh, like an actual hard statistical data on that. And we find that the risk from asteroids is extremely small. Um, and likewise for a few of the other risks that arise from nature. But all the really big existential risks um, are not in any direct way uh, susceptible to this, this kind of rigorous quantification. Yeah. I think all the really big risks arise in some way out of human activity, and in particular from certain possible future technological discoveries that we might make. Uh, and there's just no way uh, to sort of calculate whether the probability that we will be destroyed by super intelligent machines is like 4% or 37% or um, so, so there, uh, although there is a lot of relevant information in many different scientific fields, um, ultimately there is also a big ingredient of just judgment that in, inevitably comes into play. Yeah. And so one of the things to, that, that, that we have to try to do to improve our assessment of existential risk is to think carefully about how these judgments are produced, whether there are biases that perhaps we could become aware of and that we can learn to avoid. Got it. Um, um, it and this, this holds more generally when one is thinking about these big picture questions for the future. Like, if, 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 your, if your task is to hammer a nail into a board, then um, there is a very strong uh, feedback loop where reality really tells you very clearly whether you're doing it right or not. And yep. it doesn't really matter whether you're like a communist or a Nazi or a Raelian or what crazy ideologies you have. Like, you'll still learn quite quickly uh, if you're hammering in the wrong nail. Like, your thumb will start hurting in a big way. Yes. But if you're wrong about 
what what the major threats are to humanity over the next century. Like there is no that reality quickly tells you whether you're right or wrong. So any weak uh, bias you might have has, has a much freer reign to, to start to distort your beliefs. Indeed, and uh, there are, it seems as though, and, and obviously this makes logical sense, that the, the folks working away in various individual fields, really, of course, there's no individual methodology. It's more like, hey, you know, the, the people that are deepest involved in these various fields, so long as they're aware that existential risk is a factor, is a thing, uh, to speak kind of colloquially, um, they can have their antennae up for what those things might be. And probably the best shot we got is the solid, informed judgment of folks that understand that existential risk exists who might be able to keep that antennae up when they're working on neuroscience, when they're working on biotech, when they're working. So it sounds like more people that just understand and can have a uh, kind of a sniff test judgment for existential risk and future ramifications at that scale, maybe having more people with that antennae up is about as good as we got. Um, well, it. It, it seems on balance helpful to have more sort of practitioners and experts aware of a wide range of existential risks, but not all existential risks are thereby avoided. For um, sure, for sure, of course. One has to, to consider the incentives of um, a researcher in some, some field like, say, synthetic biology, which maybe down the road, decades from now, could, through the cumulative effort of many researchers, create powerful new technologies that might then also be used to responsible and that might create an existential risk. But yep. if you are a researcher in a particular lab, all your incentives are to plow ahead. Yeah. Like, you, you need to get that publication in, you need to get that next grant. Yeah. Uh, you need to make the exciting discovery that, that will get you an award or that will give you your tenure. Um, so even if you have some vague awareness that synthetic biology could be dangerous in the long run, it's not clear that the incentives are aligned for you to take the, the, the actions that would be best from a global point of view. Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of these um, existential risks uh, um, like uh, arise ultimately from global coordination failures. Like we as a humanity doesn't really have any policy where we're trying to steer uh, some particular course into the future. Things just happen. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of people going about their business who are discovering a lot of things, uh, uh, making some profit, they're making a living, and, and new technology comes online and, and so forth. Uh, we've been mostly lucky with the technologies we've been developed. They've been a huge boon to humanity and has uh, basically created our current modern condition of unprecedented prosperity. But yes. if, if there is a really dangerous technology that could be developed, it looks like we are on course eventually to develop it. Yes, and, and we'll invariably come up with many more than, than you and I could brainstorm, no matter how much time uh, we have here today. Um, so it, it, that, that brings us to the next question, which, which I, I, I'm sure folks can dive into in Superintelligence and some of your other work on NickBostrom.com. Um, but in terms of that global coordination problem, I happen to be in agreement there. I don't have the algorithm. I don't have the answer. But it seems as though... You know, being as how interdisciplinary this is, and being how you know it is possible to keep your head down in almost. My line is cracking up. Oh, a little bit here. Um, oh, can can you hear me? Can... Yeah, do you got me now, Nick? Uh, if you try to speak, let me see if I can hear you now. Okay, how about now? Uh, I think now, yes. Okay, all right. I'll give it. I'll give it another go. You were coming through a little crackly too, but luckily it, it was clear enough for me to record. So, um, yeah. The, the question was, you know, it seems as though there really is a global coordination concern here in terms of, you know, the incentives, as you had said, being, oh, still, still again, Nick, having trouble? It's really, sorry, I, I can't actually hear you. 
No, that's fine. I can I can edit this audio, Nick. I'm gonna switch to my other Wi-Fi. I'll be back in two seconds, okay? I'm not sure whether the problem is on your side or between or on on my side here. Uh, okay, okay. It, it sounds almost like there's some sort of glitch in some sort of uh, speaker part or something like that. Yeah. Um. um but I can sort of hear you too. In Okay, am, am I coming through okay now? Right now it's good, yeah. Great, okay, I'll give it a shot. So, um, I'm interested in your thoughts, Nick, on the global coordination problem. Um, it's clearly massively complex. We would need an interconnected, interdisciplinary, unified effort to sort of be aware of and line up incentives with what's best for human well-being on this large aggregate, bigger scale. How can we get beyond our sort of... Um. Still, huh? Still? Sorry, I'm, I, I do That's apologize, fine. but I can't... Yeah, I let, can't, let me... Just hear you sort of, uh, I'm going to switch to my other, uh, my other Wi-Fi. Give me... Shake my own hand. Yeah, give me one you, second here. Sometimes if you just give something a kick, <laughs> it suddenly starts working. Uh-oh. Oh. Hello? Hey, all right, I'm on a different Wi-Fi now, Nick. Can you hear me? Ah, okay, well, let's... Right now, it sounds good. All right, thank goodness. Anyway, okay, I'm going to say this quick. Um, basically, yeah, it seems as though we're talking about a large and interdisciplinary problem, and, and, and there is the factor that folks could be focusing away on their own individual little niche interests and potentially not bearing in mind the aggregate consequences for humanity because, you know, admittedly, that's rather difficult. In terms of how we can improve that global coordination in terms of who's working on what and how the world's incentives are driving us towards what's aggregately best for us all, um, how might we even begin to crack that nut in terms of well-intended organization globally? Yes, yeah, so having improved global uh, coordination, better ability to solve these uh, global commons uh, problems uh, would be very useful for a wide range of different challenges that humanity faces. Not just for various existential risks, but for avoiding wars and arms races and to, 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 to like manage the ocean fish population and like clean up the atmosphere and so forth. But it's a very tricky problem. A lot of people have tried for a long time to work towards world peace, and it still remains an elusive goal, although perhaps we have made some incremental progress towards yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, broadly speaking, there is kind of two questions one can ask. One is what would be really great if it happened, and, and clearly a more peaceful, more harmonious world at the international level would be really great for a wide range of reasons. But another question is, what can we as individuals do that would be most effective um, in improving the long-term chances for humanity? And, and there it's less obvious that working directly uh, towards global peace is the best uh, project, just because it looks very difficult to make a big difference there if you're like a single individual or a small organization. Yeah. And, and so perhaps your resources would be better uh, put uh, to use if, if they were focused on some some problem that is much more neglected. For example, um, the control problem for artificial intelligence, like figuring doing some technical research to figure out if and when we uh, got the ability to, to create machine superintelligence, how we could ensure that the outcome would be safe and beneficial. Or, or perhaps uh, doing general research on existential risks to try to identify uh, promising ways to, to reduce the level of existential risk. So, so th those are areas in which, say, one extra million uh, dollars of funding or, like, one extra very talented person could, could make a, a noticeable difference. Yeah. So do you see it as a most likely scenario that, that both will happen? In other words, there will be those those niche individuals who are 
uh, hammering away, kind of like uh, the, the MIRI, um, Machine Intelligence Research Institute or what have you, is you know, raising funding and, and focusing away on kind of a particular set of problems and that we're more likely to – and then there's another group in, in nanotech, which I cannot remember the, the name of off the top of my head, who's working away on sort of foreseeing and potentially bypassing and handling and, and the level of policy and otherwise the, the ethical considerations of nanotech. Do you see it more as those individual efforts maybe within a country or hopefully internationally but sort of niche, you know, couple million dollar type efforts being more successful in terms of, you know, and then maybe some kind of connectedness between those being what – aggregately brings us to some higher level of global collaboration? Or do you see it as borderline essential or, or maybe even possible to get to a higher level of, of unified effort in terms of looking at all of these potentially dangerous or massively beneficial technologies? Uh, it, it might well be feasible. I mean, we've moved over grand historical timescales towards uh, increasing scales of political Integration. So yeah, towards that. Uh, that the tribe was kind of the largest political unit, and you had 50 yep. people in a tribe. So now we have large states, and, and indeed uh, super national units like the European Union. Yes. Sort of weak forms of global governance. So, so there's like only really one step left in that direction, which might take decades, but it could happen. I just think that it's not so much as I think it's very unlikely to happen, it's just that whether or not it will happen will not depend sensitively. Um, on, on any one individual's contributions. There are like larger forces yep. uh, that, that will shape these outcomes. Um, so uh, that, that's why if one is trying to think as an altruist, uh, yes. the highest expected utility use of one's time, yes, 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 there yes. might be other narrower causes. That even though they might matter less, uh, you could have a bigger uh, impact on, on whether they happen and therefore yep. yield a higher expected amount of good. Because you could you, you could move the needle in the first place. Um, so, yeah, with that being said, that was my final sh very short question here, Nick, was if somebody's tuned in now, you know, we have we have folks that are entrepreneurs. We have folks that are uh, thinkers and are, are interested in the research in these domains. If somebody's tuned in, they said, you know, I, I you know, I too see these as massively important considerations. Would, would you say that on the aggregate, it might make sense to say, what are my resources? What are my skills? Who's around me that understands these concerns as well? And, and what, what, you know, for lack of better terms, what nut could I crack in terms of opening up these ethical uh, considerations or, or coming to terms with some of the conditions and how we might prepare a little bit better for them in a, in a more specific and niche area? Uh, on the aggregate for the average person tuned in and wants to, quote, unquote, be involved in a meaningful way and that aggregate altruistic way you were just speaking about does it likely make most sense to look at opportunities look at skills look at where you are now and drive home the existential projects that that you have access to and maybe can make a difference in in the first place in your opinion yeah so for different individuals that might have different skills and be in different positions to do different things um, broadly speaking though it's worth bearing in mind the principle of division of labor um, so just as in the larger economy, we specialize in different things and trade. So with existential risk reduction, um, you could specialize in making money, doing whatever you're good at, and then you could donate a fraction of that uh, to pay people uh, who are specializing in doing like research on existential risk or trying to influence policy and pay those to do that work. Uh, you don't have to try to do it yourself. It's usually more efficient to uh, each do whatever we are specialized in. So for most people, the most efficient way to contribute uh, to reducing existential risk would be to identify the most efficient uh, organizations working on this uh, and then support those. Is it safe to say in some way, Nick, that, that the Future of Humanity Institute is 
to some degree maybe aiming towards a, the bigger global unified effort that you know you and I are both saying is maybe a little bit tougher to come across, but maybe aggregately most beneficial. Is it? I mean, in other words, is 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 it even? is even worth considering. I know you had mentioned there's forces outside of one man's effort, but I guess such was Napoleon, such was anybody who's in Britannica. Um, you know, is it, is it worth taking a crack at in any direction? And it, it almost seems like FHI to some degree is making, you know, at least noble strides in, in, in that direction. It, it doesn't seem futile. No, we, we are trying to, uh, like change, um, global awareness about big picture questions for yes. humanity. They have traditionally been neglected. We, we think there is an opportunity to show that you can do serious research on this and that, that we can bring them into a wider conversation. Yeah, as opposed so to dung beetles and stuff about like the that. Future, yeah. We're not just naively assuming the human condition is fixed and, and the main concern is how to make sure that the, the nuclear waste that we bury will remain safe for 50,000 years or these kind of yeah, 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 preoccupations yeah. there. Um, so I think there's a big opportunity there, and, and there are some other organizations as well active on various aspects of this problem. You mentioned the uh, Machine Intelligence Research Institute at Berkeley, yes. some great people there. We are working closely with the Center for Effective Altruism, um, which is trying to sort of bring reflective rationality to the question of how to do the most good as, as an individual, and, and some others. So there's a growing ecosystem of, of people right. who, uh, who are genuinely trying to figure out like how to, to, to save the future. I, it's worth bearing in mind, like, although I think this is extremely important, um, if one steps back and, and wonders how much influence one as an individual can expect to have, uh, you mentioned the case of Napoleon. There are a lot more people in history who have believed that there were Napoleon than there have actually been in Napoleon. So yeah, well, that, that's Napoleon. the, I mean, you know... There probably tens of thousands of people <laughs> have that there were Napoleon. Zarathustra said that, you know, the higher the thing, the rarer... You know, the rarer its type. I mean, it's 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 the case. You know, it's, the higher you shoot, the the more likelihood you have to toil forever and have it yield nothing. But I guess somebody's got to make the shot. Yeah, and so the, um, the 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 values on the line here, like if I just works out the numbers, uh, in terms of how many happy lives could exist in humanity's future, and if we spread through the uh, the universe and so forth, yeah, astronomical, yeah, yeah. astronomical, even a very large, even very small um, probabilistic impact on that would still be extremely worthwhile pursuing. Indeed. And and such is the uh, the involvement in kind of that growing ecosystem, as you had mentioned. Folks who are tuned in, if you're interested there, there's plenty of great institutions. If you go to uh, Future Humanity Institute site, they're clearly linking to a lot of the other folks that are working away here. And Nick, I definitely appreciate your advice on getting involved kind of in the ecosystem and seeing where your best fit might be in terms of um, that yield. Because we're a little bit over on time here, I just wanted to uh, first and foremost say thanks a ton for being able to take the time. But secondly, if folks want to learn more from you, where I've read most of your work, Nick, is at nickbostrom.com, B-O-S-T-R-O-M. And then you obviously have your new book, Super Intelligence. Anywhere else folks can go to learn more about this topic if they want to be involved and informed? Um, well, those would be two great starting places. So my homepage has a lot of papers and stuff. Yes, and indeed. the new book, of course, yes, you can tell it. And you'll find a lot of resources from there if you just follow through. Great, fantastic. Yeah, Nick's site is a great place to start for anybody tuned in. Uh, Professor Bostrom, thank you again so much for being here with us on Tech Emergence. Thanks for the invitation. Cool. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, 
uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential. And make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>